Grace, mercy, and peace meant to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We've been looking throughout the season of Lent at various psalms at our midweek services. And so tonight I wanted to look at Psalm 116, verses 12 through 19, which are appointed for this day, for Holy Thursday. And then tomorrow night, Pastor Holmes will look at Psalm 22. And then on Easter sunrise service, I'm cheating a little bit with the theme of psalms, but I'm taking from Moses' song, which is a psalm, um, his psalm of triumph, of crossing the Red Sea. We'll be looking at that Easter sunrise. Psalm 116 is a psalm of thanksgiving, and originally it was an individual song of thanksgiving, and then the Jewish people started singing it at their Passover feast. You'll see why in a moment. And then, of course, it's very clearly also about our Lord Jesus Christ. And then because it's about Christ and we are in Christ, then we too can pray this. And so what I want to do is do a brief overview of the context of the entire psalm. So we're going to take a brief look at that. And then look at the three parts that specifically are appointed for this night. And then I want to see how all of that connects to the Holy Supper and all that it means for us, which... I think will be implicit throughout, but we'll make it explicit at the end. So this psalm starts off, he says, He loves the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. So he starts off by expressing his love for the Lord. And then part two, though, talks about the distress and the plea that he put to the Lord that evoked this response of love. That is, he was very near death. The pains of death surrounded him, and the pains of Sheol laid hold of him. He thought for sure he was going to die. Then, of course, with our Lord Jesus Christ, he did actually die in a complete fulfillment of this. And so he cries out to the Lord in the midst of his distress. He says, I was brought low, and he saved me. And so then the next part is all about the deliverance that God wrought for him. God saved him. God rescued him. God delivered him. In fact, this section has words you should all be very familiar with because we often sing them here at baptisms and funerals, or at least the choir does. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. The Lord has delivered him, delivered his soul from death. So what is he going to do? And that is the part that then becomes the psalm appointed for Holy Thursday. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. So what's he going to do? What's he going to do because the Lord has rescued him and delivered him? The Lord has saved him. What's he going to do? He's going to take up the cup of salvation. It's a beautiful, it's a wonderful phrase. There's debate. Is this the cup of the drink offering being poured out? Is it the cup at the Passover like we just heard about in our Exodus 12 reading? What cup is this? My answer is, it doesn't really matter a whole lot. What it represents is far more important than exactly which cup the psalmist had in mind. And clearly, the Jews applied it to the Passover meal, and we as Christians very clearly apply it to the Lord's Supper. So whether its original intent was the drink offering, 
been applied in various ways, and I think that's good and proper. It's a beautiful imagery. We're going to look more at this tomorrow at the noon service. Jesus from the cross says, I thirst. And we're going to look at all that that means for us and our salvation. One of the things Jesus does is he drinks down the cup of wrath that God gave him. He drinks it down to last drop. The judgment and anger and wrath of God that should be against you and your sins, Christ suffers for you. He bears the very torments of hell on the cross that you might be saved. So he takes that cup of wrath and he fills it with blessing. That is our very cup of salvation. So when you take up the cup of salvation, you must, what else are you going to do? Then call on the name of the Lord. Think about all the wonderful promises in the Bible about this. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Many of us were taught that at a very, very young age. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Think about it. He's just been rescued. He's just been helped. He's just been delivered. And now, present tense, he calls on the name of the Lord again. Because when the Lord rescues you, when he delivers you, when he gives you his blessing, faith immediately cries out to Christ over and over and over again. In fact, his past experience, the fact that God delivered him, taught him that God will be there for his future needs, not just his past needs. You see, he's learned an important lesson. I cried out to the Lord and he delivered me. Therefore, I'm going to keep crying out to the Lord's. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will lift up the cup of salvation, the cup of blessing, because I know that Christ is going to rescue, save, and deliver me. Instead of wrath, I receive blessing. And then he continues, though. And it seems a little odd, a little disjointed, but he goes on. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservants. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. His experience of crying out to God and God answering his prayer has taught him another important lesson. He's convinced now that God actually cares about him. And not only him, but all his saints. To the point that he can say that the death of a saint is precious, possible translation also costly, in the eyes of the Lord. It is dear to him. Those who are loved by the Lord or are valued by the Lord. He counts them as precious, as costly. Even their deaths matter to him. He does not take their deaths lightly, nor does he disregard your despair. That is what the psalmist learns. He learned, I called it to the Lord, he answered me, I'm going to keep calling to him. Why? Because he actually cares. It's an astonishing thing. So many people that you're going to meet all over this town, all over this county and state and country and world, they don't believe there's actually a God who cares for them. They don't. They have no idea. And if you explain this to them, it would boggle their minds. Because in their mind, God is very indifferent if he even exists at all. He's just kind of there. And yet the psalmist says, not only does God care, 
He doesn't even take your death lightly, but treats it as the most precious and valuable thing to him. And so he says, you are the Lord's servants. And if you are the Lord's servants, that means he's loosed your bonds, including the bonds of death. Right? One of the things we celebrate over these next several days is that Christ has defeated death. He's conquered death. Death has been defeated in his death. And because of that, the bonds of death, hell, and Satan have been loosed. We've been set free. So he promises that he'll make a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It seems rather a paltry thing, right? I mean, in comparison to all that God has done for him, he's going to thank the Lord. And yet, it's exactly what the Lord wants. Right? If you think, well, the Lord's done all this for me, therefore I must do X, Y, Z for him, I've got to pay him back in some way. The psalmist says, what you do is you thank the Lord, and what do you do? You pay your vows in the presence of all his people. What in the world does that mean? Well, you sing his praises, you thank him in the presence of everyone gathered here. That is how you thank the Lord. That is how you pay your vows. Not by trying to work for it or earn it to make it up to God, but by telling everyone what the Lord has done for you. It's a beautiful thing. And it ends very simply. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, in the midst of God's people, in the midst of the saints, praise the Lord, or one Hebrew word, hallelujah. That's how he ends it. I'm going to tell everyone the good things that God has done for me. That is how we praise the Lord. That's why Paul will pick up in the New Testament and say, when we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we sing them to one another to encourage and strengthen one another in the faith so that we might hear the good things God has done for all of us and we might be reminded and remember that God keeps his promises. He does not disregard our desperation that those he loves he values. So, should be obvious, I think, by now, why this psalm and why these last few verses are chosen for this holy night. Because you cannot think about the psalm and lifting up a cup of salvation without thinking about the Holy Supper. I think for a Christian, it'd be near impossible if you constantly receiving the Lord's Supper that you read the psalm and not think, hey, that sounds an awful lot like the Holy Supper Christ has given to me. Now, a couple notes on the Lord's Supper. We sang so far two beautiful hymns that summarize the Supper perfectly. I mean, if you want to learn about the Holy Supper, go and read those hymns and read the small catechism, and you'll know pretty much, honestly, everything you need to know just from those three things. The one thing I want to say about it is that so many Christians try so hard to try to understand the Lord's Supper. It is, as we say, it's a mystery. There's a mystery to it. Christ's body and blood are present with the bread and wine, and we don't have to explain it. We just don't. Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, and we say, thanks be to God. So many Christians get caught up in trying to explain this that it loses a sense of awe and mystery for them, and then they just reject it altogether. Well, it can't be that. It doesn't make sense. Jesus didn't say it had to make sense to you. We call it a sacrament because sacrament means mystery. It is mysterious. Second thing I want to note before getting too deep into all of this <coughs> is that we sang in the opening 
very opening stanza, soul, adorn yourself with gladness. Leave the gloomy haunts of sadness. When you come to the supper, you're coming to a feast of joy, it should be one of the happiest moments, if not the happiest moments of every single week. It should fill you with joy. It should fill you with gladness. Because in Christ's body and blood given for you, shed for you, you receive forgiveness, life, and salvation. As our Catechism teaches us, if you have forgiveness, you will have life, you will have salvation, indeed you must. And you are strengthened by this holy foods. So when we come and gather here at this rail, it is a time of feasting, of celebration. Christ calls you in as priests and kings in him. And he serves you the priestly food of bread, and he serves you the kingly drink of wine. And he says, take, eat. There is nothing better than that. It is indeed a feast of joy, a feast of gladness, a feast that should fill us every time with awe that Christ would choose to humbly come to us week in and week out with his very body and blood. One of the things I teach in every adult instruction when we go over this is that there is no other place on earth where you are closer to our risen Lord Jesus Christ than in the Holy Supper. No other place. You're closer to him at that moment than you are anywhere else because you're actually receiving his very body and blood for your salvation. We sang this, and there's, there's more to it in John 6. We sang as part of the tract, right, that Christ says his body is our true food, his blood is our true drink. And what does he say? If we don't eat his body and drink his blood, we have no life in us. We take up the cup of salvation and we drink it down to last drop, just as Christ drank down the cup of wrath to last drop, because in it is our salvation. In it is all that you need for this life as a Christian. When you have God's word and God's sacraments, you have all that you need. It's wonderful. It's astounding. Sometimes the Lord's Supper gets the short name, and it's used in our confessions this way a little bit too, a number of times, of the Eucharist. Now, modern Lutherans don't use that term a whole lot because it's been greatly abused and misused, but it comes from Jesus' words. On the night our Lord Jesus Christ gave thanks, right? Eucharisteo, I give thanks. Our response to the Lord's Supper is thanksgiving. We even sing after. We sing a hymn of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord for the good gifts he's given us. But our thanksgiving isn't the main thing. Our thanksgiving is just in response to the overwhelming joy and gladness we have that we've received Christ's good gifts. Jesus says, taste and see that the Lord is good, and we taste and see that he indeed is very good. And so this psalm gets appointed for this night on which our Lord first instituted his Holy Supper. That we might know that every time we come to the Holy Table, we are taking up that cup of salvation. We're calling on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. He does. Each and every time. And each and every time you receive Christ's Holy Supper, you hear the words that your body is being preserved, body and soul, for life everlasting. 
that because you received the food and drink of immortality, your bodies will be raised up whole and complete and perfect. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I'll take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I'll pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I'll pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Amen. The peace of God which passed on our saints, your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.